if anybody sees a Bible in a blue zipper, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Barbara Lee has found it. No, I don't read Oh, you'll, you'll read Greek. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> hers actually better because she's got large print and I have to keep taking my glasses off and leaving them on. Um, I don't normally do topical uh, sermons and two reasons. One is you can avoid a lot of hard passages by just doing topical. You can just, you know, you can go everywhere and just preach these sermons that everybody likes to hear. But when you're preaching uh, verse by verse, you've got to take the tough passages right along with the rest of them and no one can say well pastor you were picking on me this Sunday and I said no that was that happened to be the verse I remember in Ireland one time i had been praying for this guy to come to church for the longest time and uh, finally he came and uh, the Sunday that he came we were in first Thessalonians chapter four and it says this is the will of God even your sanctification that each one possesses his vessel in sanctification and honor for God has called you in holiness and not unto fornication <laughs> and the guy had been living together with his girlfriend for about four years, and I kept confronting him about it. And he came that Sunday, and he says, "Oh man, he says you were really, really blasting me this morning, weren't you, Pastor?" And I said, "No." I said, "That was God. God's talking to you." In fact, the end of that verse is, "And he who rejects this doesn't reject man, but God." So, um, but I said, "We preach here verse by verse by verse." And I said, "You just happened to come the Sunday that." And I said, God meant that for you, though. Yeah, you're right about that. But I had good, a good friendship with him. Um, his name was Austin McNamara. He's a, he's a good, good guy. Um, well, no, he wasn't a good guy. <laughs> he was a sinner like the rest of us. Um, I asked him, are you, are you a good person? He probably said, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this morning, we're going to just uh, take a diversion from the book of Galatians, and we're going to talk about women and the important role that women play in our society, in our culture. And I can't think of a time in, in the history of the United States when womanhood has been more under attack. And not, not just womanhood, but, but masculinity. And um, the, the whole notion that God created us, male and female, I never thought that that ever would have been objected to, or to actually to be able to use a feminine pronoun and a masculine pronoun, that that would be thought of as incorrect in our society. We've come such a far, far way. And what we've done is we, we've destroyed true femininity and we've destroyed true masculinity and we've just marred it and we've blurred the lines where right is wrong and wrong is right and so I thought this morning not just to talk to our mothers but talk to our women in general um, and, and honor the fact that God has made you unique that God has made you special and that we need to honor that, we need to recognize that, and we need to, to glorify the difference that God has made in the home and the unity that he's designed through diversity. But before we start, um, I would like to, to open to any of the ladies that would like to share a brief 
testimony of how yesterday's meeting, your tea time, how God used that in your life, how God ministered to you, how the Lord spoke to you through um, our anointed speaker. Uh, she was an amazing lady. Uh, Tracy and I got to meet her the night before. They had traveled all the way from Southern California, and they spent the night in St. George, George, then drove here, and then we met with them at dinner at Keith and Nancy's house, and Tracy and I really wanted to be respectful of their time, knowing that she was going to speak today, knowing that they'd been on the road for six, seven hours, and so we kind of told ourselves in the driveway, let's, let's don't linger too long, and uh, I looked at my watch, and before I knew it, we'd been there almost three hours because we just kept fellowshipping about what God does through our brokenness and how this lady, I think what, what I was, I walked away that this woman hungers for God. She thirsts for God like the deer panting, her soul pants and longs for God. And I, I left Keith and Nancy's just thinking, God, that's the kind of walk I want to have. That's the kind of intimacy I desire with you. And again, God's using a lot of different things. This morning, I'm sure Keith had no intention of, of, of pricking my heart, but he read the story of a Chinese pastor who would get up two, three hours before daylight and go and spend time and he would talk with God as if Christ was his intimate friend. And that's what I desire for us as a church. If, if, if God would, would move into our midst in such a way that we would passionately pant for him and long for him, can you imagine the transformation that he would make in, in our lives? So this morning, if you have um, just a testimony of maybe God, how God opened your eyes to something in your life or edified you or encouraged you in an area that you were struggling that you may have not even known about, and yesterday God ministered to you, I want to just open it up for about two or three minutes and maybe longer, however the Holy Spirit directs us. But um, if you have something to share, ladies, go ahead. Yes, Lisa. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm. It, it brought such a desire to want to bring it to understand 
Amen. Amen. Tracy's going to stop complaining about not being able to taste or smell, <laughs> she told me. <laughs> when I'm cooking, that's a blessing. <laughs> Somebody else, another lady. Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. Yes, Sam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, yesterday was a privilege for all of us to meet this this lady. Uh, a godly woman, and she's influenced thousands of souls all over America, homeless, children, orphans, uh, foster children. You know, I, I prayed yesterday morning while she was here, I was praying that her ministry would just be like a, a grain of mustard seed. It would be like a little bit of leaven, and that it would go to every home and every woman that was here would take that back and then influence a husband, influence a child, or influence a co-worker, or influence a neighbor. And I started to, to pray about that and think about that. And I was thinking, God has unique, uniquely equipped women to influence others in a way so different from men. There's, there's ways that, that women can affect their community. Their roles are so unique, and our culture is attacking that and minimizing that. In fact, saying that that's a bad thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, I just want to pause right now and just say, Lily, it's so good to see you, and... Um, we're praying for you. And before I go any further, I want to just stop and let's pray for, for Lily and for her health and for Marty. And uh, I know you've been through a, a lot of fires. So let's just pray together for, for Lily. Father God, it's our privilege to pray one for another and to love one another. And when one member of the body suffers, God, we suffer with. Lord, I thank you for the ministry that Lily brings, Lord. I thank you for her smile. I thank you for her tenderness. I thank you, Father, for her love. I thank you, God, the way that she reaches out and resonates with other people. She identifies with them. 
And God, you've taken her through some valleys. We thank you, Father, for her sister's recovery, and we pray continually, Lord, that you would heal her body and bring yourself glory and honor. God, I thank you that Lily has made an effort to come today, Lord, when just walking and just getting out of bed has been an effort. God, we bring and we ask God for healing and restoration for her. And God, we pray that you would use her tenderness. We pray, God, that you would use her light to continue to influence her family that so needs the gospel. God, we pray for Marty, Lord. God, that with even without a single word, that Lily can win and influence him for the kingdom of heaven, God. We pray for that family. We pray, Father, for sisters and brothers, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, her children, Lord, God, that you would just bring a, a, a revival into that family, God. Lord, bring spiritual awakening. Bring a hunger to them, God. And God, I pray that they would turn to Lily as they've watched her walk with Jesus. God, I pray that you will open doors of utterances, open doors for the word so that she can make known the mystery of Christ. I pray, God, that her speech would be seasoned with salt. Father, I, God, I ask God that you would just continue to make her a servant and a messenger to those who are in darkness and her family. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The role of women is just so under attack. You know, our, our greatest NCAA swimmer is a man in the women's division. A couple years ago, uh, the woman of the year was a world record holder in the men's decathlete in 1976. This is, this is where our society is, is, is moving to. Um, we're so fearful of offending people that what we've done is we've really offended womanhood. But more importantly, we have offended God as a culture and as a people. And as a country, we need to do like Daniel did and just pray for national repentance. I think of the person that influenced my life more than anybody else, and it was my mom. My mom was my Sunday school teacher, bless her heart. <laughs> my mom was my confidant. I would pick up the telephone at Louisiana Tech, and if I had a rough week, I'd call my mom. And within 30 seconds, she'd say, Patrick, what's wrong? <laughs> she could read into the tone of my voice and knew that I needed to unload on her. I could always go to her. Uh, I got saved at a young age and then just walked away from the Lord and walked sort of blindly until I started reading a Bible again. And then after I got excited about the Lord, I, I didn't want to go out with my friends. They, they'd come over to my house, and I knew that they were going to the parties. Um, all of my good Catholic buddies, they, they went to Mass earlier, and then they were going to go out and drink. And they'd come by and get me. And I'd say, no, I'm staying home tonight. Well, what are you doing? I had a date with my mom every Friday night. My mom and I would pop popcorn 
and we would watch the Rockford Files. <laughs> you guys, y'all remember Jim Garner? <laughs> that, that was my mom and I. We would hang out. Um, in the older years, as, as I was blessed, Tracy and I moved my mom here, and uh, I'd take Brendan over to her little apartment, and we'd sit around. We would watch Andy Griffith together. But I just, I just wanted to be around her. She was funny. She didn't take life serious. She didn't take herself serious. She was able to laugh at herself. Um, I remember one time one of her, her fake tooths <laughs> fell out and we were sitting around a campfire. And uh, it was in her donut and she'd swallowed it. <laughs> and she looked at my dad and she said, well, I guess you're going to get to look for it tomorrow. <laughs> um, she just had a great wit. We were, we were camping in the, the Allegheny Mountains one time, and it was pouring down rain. And we had this old tent. And I, I mean, it was, it was a mess. But it was hung up on these, these, uh, these old wrought iron poles. And... and if it rained, it's just these big old valleys, you know, and it would just, I mean, fill up with water. <laughs> and about two o'clock in the morning, it was pouring, and we were all sleeping in the same tent, and my mom's elbowing, Dick, Dick, I got to get up, move over. She says, I got I to gotta use, use the restroom. So she went out, and she, my dad didn't know it, but she was right there by the edge of the, the tent. And, of course, the water's dripping from these huge bags of water that are hanging down. And so my dad, <laughs> I mean, he drenched her. <laughs> she came to the tent just, just soaked. Well, I'll never forget, she looked and she says, Dick, take your pajamas off. <laughs> so she put his on and she, he slept in hers that night. <laughs> oh, but I, oh, what a blessed, what a blessed to have a mom who was, who was a lady, who was a woman. Um, she sang with Sweet Adelines. I mean, she, I remember when I was six years old and she was going to Sweet Adelines and I'd beg her not to go. I mean, I was, a, I was in high school and my mom was going to look for a job. I was a, I was a senior in high school. You know, I'm 17 years old, and I came home, and she wasn't there at lunchtime. And I says, where are you? You know, and, and I, I talked to her that night, and I says, well, you were gone. She goes, I was out looking at I says, what are you doing looking at a job? She goes, all my kids are raised. And I says, but I come home at lunch, Mom. <laughs> I just wanted to be around her. She knew what my favorite meal was. She just, it was a, it was a blessing to have a mom who loved Jesus and loved our family and was just a simple, down-to-earth lady. So womanhood is a wonderful thing. God's original design is beautiful. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, the Lord says this, So God created man, and God created male and female. God created he them. He created them, male and female. Three times it says that God created. And three times it makes the distinction between man and woman. This for emphasis. This was intentional. God never designed to have a monogenous 
couple. He created them uniquely and he created them differently. Yet she resembles God just as the man resembles God, so they are completely equal. The word created is only used for God, the Hebrew word bara. It means to shape, it means to fashion with personality, with intimacy, with intelligence, and with moral faculties. And God designed the woman specifically for those things. She is distinct, and she is completely different, and yet uniquely the same as man. God knew exactly what he was doing. God purposed for Adam to name all the animals. God had a strategy in this. He brought all the animals to Adam intentionally for Adam to name them. And as Adam was watching all the animals, the ones that were created from the dirt, not a one of them was suitable for man. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Everything that God created, God said it was good. And God said it was good. And God said it was good. But when man was created by himself, isolated from the woman, he said, this is not good. And all those creatures came before Adam so that Adam would know the special gift that God was going to prepare for him. And so when Adam saw his wife for the first time in Genesis, says this, and, got him, and Adam said, this now. It's a, it's a temporal adjective in the Hebrew, but it's recognizing her absolute and indispensable worth. Literally, the word now means at this moment in time, Adam realized that nothing was comparable to what he needed. The Bible says that nothing was made, the old King James says that was meat, that was necessary to qualify as something that was going to correspond to his need. The Hebrew expression literally says this, according to his opposite. That which corresponds, something that is similar but yet different, that work together. And I thought about that. What is it like? It's like a left hand, that's a right hand, and a left hand. <laughs> I don't know what my left hand and my right hand is doing this morning. But you think about that. They, they correspond. They are a mirror image of one another. And that's the idea of the Hebrew. It's a mere correspondence, yet opposite, but they, they, they need one another. You think about what you can do because God has given you two hands. I think of Caleb up here, one hand holding the thread and the other fingers just going to town a picking. And, and, and the, the creativity that we have with our hands, the ability to, to express our feelings. I mean, if you tied my hands behind my back, I don't know if I could preach this morning. But God has, and that's the idea of making man and woman. They, they correspond, they reflect to one another. And they're exactly what is needed. The woman was the last piece in all of God's creation. I never thought about that until I studied this in the last couple of days. She was the crowning jewel 
of all that man desired and needed to meet his need uniquely. The power of a godly woman is incredible. I think of some of the Old Testament women that God used in such a special way. And I think of Ruth right away. This lady that God used to be the great-grandmother of the messianic line, King David. That was Ruth, a Moabitess. And the men of that village in Bethlehem said about Ruth, she is better than ten sons. The influence of that godly woman. I think about Hannah, a woman of prayer and a woman of faith who came into the tabernacle and got down on her knees and she prayed a prayer and she vowed to God, God, if you will give me a child, no razor will ever touch that child's head. I will devote this child as a Nazarite, separated totally unto God, and I'll take no claim on him. I will give, I will give him back to you, Lord. I will dedicate him for your service and for your kingdom for all eternity. And you think about the darkest time in Israel. It was the time of the judges. They had gone from cycle of sin and repentance, sin and repentance, sin and repentance, and comes along little Samuel. And Samuel transformed a nation. He was the king anointer. He was the one who walked into Jesse's household and said, is there still one other son? Because none of these are him. And then little King David came in, and he anointed him as the king of Israel. That woman who prayed for that child was the one that God used to bring in a united kingdom and a glorious time in Israel to take them out of this despair of sin. In the New Testament, if you want to turn in your Bible, we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and we'll see how a woman, a godly woman, can have a powerful impact and influence on people's lives. 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is talking about the woman influencing her husband. And we're going to have to go back to chapter 2 when we get to the word likewise to see how this fits in the context. So I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we'll pick up the context. Wives, likewise. So that's going to take us back to chapter 2. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. The word to be won, may be won, that is um, the, the word that I want us to, to, to focus on in, in this passage because that word, it means to gain. It's used figuratively. And that what, what Peter is saying is that the means of influence on this man is the woman's life. Her uniqueness. That is what God is going to use 
for the power of influence. It's a godly woman who has the power to influence her husband. Likewise, you can be one without a word when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by godly reverence or fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible beauty, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And we'll stop right there. But we can see how God has uniquely equipped a woman in a godly way, how she can have a powerful influence on those around her. So let's just pick up on the idea of likewise. Likewise takes us back to chapter 2. So I want us to go to, I mean, chapter 1. So let's go to chapter 1 and verse 22, because this is kind of where it picks up. Talking about Jesus. And Jesus' greatest influence was through his humility. Behold the Lamb of God. It was Jesus' poverty. Though he was rich, he became poor so that through his poverty, he might influence others. It was through his weakness. It was through his tenderness. And so talking about Jesus who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So three things about a woman who likewise lives out her life like Christ. One, when going through suffering by the hands of others, or adverse circumstances, the godly woman does not yield to the temptation of self-pity. Likewise, the same way Christ was, the same way that Christ committed no sin, the same way that Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And it says, wives, likewise, you can influence your husband. And not just ladies out here, all of us can learn from this. The power of influence when we're going through suffering, when we will avoid the temptation of wallowing in our own pity. Second, the wife does not overcome evil by evil, nor is the godly woman overcome by evil, but she overcomes evil with good did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, is our third point. In times of desperation, the word in verse 23, but committed himself, the tense is imperfect. That means it on and on and on. Jesus, every time that he got in a place, where he was treated unjustly and unfairly, he says, okay, God, I'm committing this into your hands. And the godly woman, the same thing is true of her. In the times of her desperation, she turns habitually to God for justice 
and for intervention. To surrender that and to yield it up, to entrust it. That's what it means to commit it. And this is what godly women do. They don't wallow in pity. They don't overcome evil with evil. They overcome evil with good. And when they're in these positions where things are just continually going wrong, they yield up, they entrust, they lay it over, they surrender it all to the God who's going to judge righteously. And then their priority, where's their priority? Where's this godly woman who influences others? Her priority is the adorning of her heart. And again, this isn't just for our godly women. This is for all of us. If you want to truly influence other people, don't worry about the externals. Worry about the internal. Paul said this, our light affliction is but for a moment. And our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is renewed day by day. You will influence people. You will have an impact on them when you are adorning the inner person, the priority of the heart. The greatest influence is won over by the conduct. Spiritual purity and godly reverence. That's where it begins. Let your adorning not be the outward of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, an incorruptible beauty, a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Spiritual preparation of the inner person is to avoid the temptation of impressing people with the way you look or the way you can speak. Proverbs 31.30 says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she is to be praised. The power of meekness is never to be confused with gentleness. I'm sorry, not just... Uh, 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 of weakness, that's what I meant to say. Meekness is never to be misunderstood as weakness. In fact, it is your greatest strength as a woman. Her meek and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. The power of meekness does what the power of self-will and Bold determination can never accomplish. Proverbs 25, 15 says this, A soft tongue breaketh the bone. This is the power of a godly woman. If she will likewise be like Christ, not wallow in pity, but say, I'm going to give it to God. Not pay back evil for evil, but say, God, I'm going to entrust all of these things to you. And then adorn her inner heart with the things of purity and reverence, and then have her life reflected by not charm and not beauty, but an incorruptible glory before God. I'm going to kind of shift gears here now, and I'm going to talk about a mother and a grandmother. So if you'll turn with me to Timothy. Second Timothy, that is. And we're going to see how a mother and a grandmother impacted 
a young man named Timothy. So turn just a couple books back, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine, I think the old King James says unfeigned, which is a powerful, powerful word. To feign something is to fake it, to put on a mask. The Greek word is anhupokritas, without hypocrisy. When I call to remember this kind of that is in you, and then he refers back to that faith with this pronoun, which, which dwelt in oikonos, in the house. And this is the word that Paul uses here as another metaphor that means that this is what influenced you, Timothy. This faith that you have, it was dwelling in you. It was influenced, first of all, in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am now persuaded that it is dwelling in you. Their faith influenced and transformed your life, Timothy. And so what does Paul say? Timothy was a cause for worship. He says, I thank my God from a pure conscience every time I remember you, Timothy. And you think about what was it that influenced Timothy? It wasn't his father. His father was a Gentile. It wasn't even his grandfather. It was his grandmother and his mother. And Paul says, Timothy, your life has been influenced by their godliness. Therefore, I worship God because of the changed life that you have. Secondly... Timothy was the cause of great joy. Verse 4, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance your genuine faith. Timothy, not only do I worship God, but you cause joy in my life because you were influenced. You were impacted by the faith that was in your mother. And thirdly, he says your faith is genuine. It is sincere. Your faith, literally, to be without a hypocrite, and the hypocrite in that, that time was somebody who was on a stage and that was wearing a mask. And Paul says about Timothy, Timothy, your faith is completely unmasked. Your faith is raw. Your faith is real. What you see is exactly what you get. Because Timothy had a godly grandmother and mother. Godly women pass on spiritual legacies. The first mention of Timothy in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 16. Paul's on his second missionary journey. 
and he goes back to the Galatia region of Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. And he finds a young disciple named Timothy. That tells us a lot about Timothy right there. He was a disciple. The word mathetes comes from the verb matheteo, which means to learn and to study. Timothy was a learner. He was a studier. He was a disciple. He was a man who had counted the cost to follow Jesus Christ. If any man does not count the cost, he cannot be my disciple. The Great Commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. This guy wasn't a surface Christian. This man was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Timothy, this is the first mention of him. The second thing that it tells us in Acts chapter 16 about this Timothy, that he was the son of a certain Jewish woman, and then it says this, who was a believer. That's the mention of Timothy's mother. And then thirdly, it says that this young disciple, whose mother was a godly woman, a believer, we're told that he was well-reported by the brethren. The word reported is maturia, which means to testify or to give a witness. What that means is that the grace gifts that he bore in himself were recognizable and people would testify and go out and say, yes, I will give my pledge and say that Timothy is a godly man and that his character is above reproach and fourthly, it says that Paul wanted to take him with him. He saw an advantage. Now, where did all of this start? What was the thing that influenced Timothy? It was the faith, the unhypocritical faith, that raw, that genuine, unmasked faith that he saw in his mother. That's what influenced Timothy. That was the power of a godly woman. I think one of the best testimonies that we have for the life of Timothy is found in the book of Philippians. So as we close, I want us just to look very quickly at Philippians chapter 2 and look at Paul's commentary on this man named Timothy. So turn over to the book of Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22. Now, the book of Philippians, we don't have time to exposit it this morning, but the book of Philippians is basically a prayer letter of thanksgiving. Paul had started the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi had sent missionary offerings to him, and the church was his joy. The word rejoice is found more times in Timothy than any one of his letters. But there was also a little bit of an undercurrent of division and disunity in the book of Philippians. And that's why Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who was in the very image of God, but did not think his equality with God was something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation. So in this letter, there's a little bit of a sense that there's some dissension going on. There's a little bit of disunity. And so Paul, in his heaviness, as he's writing this letter, says, I want to send somebody back to the city of Philippi so I can get a good report on what is going on. But who am I going to send? 
Who is somebody that I can trust? Who is somebody that I'm going to give this job to? And Timothy is the one who's qualified. So let's read these verses together. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Here's the purpose. That I also may be encouraged when I know your state. I'm going to send this guy Timothy. I need to hear about what's going on. I hope to send him. And then we have the little word for in verse 20. He's giving, why am I picking out Timothy above everybody else? For I have no one like-minded. And then we have a relative pronoun telling us a little bit more about Timothy. No one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. And then we have another four giving us even greater detail why he's sending Timothy, verse 21. Why? For all seek their own, but not the things of the which of Christ. Now we've got a contrast. From those who seek their own and don't seek their things of the Lord, we've got a contrast with Timothy. But you know his proven character that as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. What's his conclusion then? Therefore, I hope to send him at once. Four short things that I want to point out. When Paul needed comfort, when he wanted to know the condition of the church, it was Timothy that he was going to send. The reason is simple, isn't it? Timothy had this unhypocritical, genuine, raw faith that was absolutely tested and proven and tried. Why? I've got to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. I know it's dwelling in you because it was dwelling in a godly woman that changed and influenced your life, Timothy. First of all, he says, there is no one like-minded. The Greek word literally means there was no one who has the exact soul like Paul. You think about the soul of Paul. He had sold out everything to follow Christ. He says, of all the men that are around me, I don't know anybody else who has that same kind of outlook on life. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And he says, I have found a young man, Timothy, who has that kind of soul and outlook on life. When it came down to the heart of spiritual issues, when it came down to priorities, when it came down to defending truth, Paul said, I don't have anybody like that except for Timothy. What a godly mother that influenced that man's life. Next it says that he will care. That word care in Old King James sometimes is translated careful, or sometimes it's translated to be anxious, to be concerned, or to be worried and to be consumed about. Timothy's not going to just go on the surface. 
He is genuinely going to minister people. He will naturally care or sincerely care for your state. So we've got a little adverb there, the word sincerely. The word sincere comes from the word for a legitimate birth. So what he is saying, in essence, is this guy is the real thing. He is legitimate. He is reliable. His trust is implicit. I have no one like that. Third, what kind of man was Timothy, that he was influenced by his mother? He was selfless, completely selfless. Paul says everybody else They've got kind of their own agenda. Yeah, I might send them, but maybe they're going to be thinking about what can they, what they can get out of Philippi. You know, Philipp, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a, a prosperous city. And I don't want these guys distracted. I want somebody who's going to seek the things of God. And he says, I don't have anybody around me like that other than Timothy. Timothy was selfless. His interest came last, and the interest of Christ came first. Timothy put God's agenda ahead of his own agenda. And I don't really like saying it like that. I like saying it more like this. God's agenda was Timothy's agenda. That's the kind of people we ought to be. Say, God, what is your plans so that I can get my plans in line with you? And that's the kind of man Timothy was. And fourthly, Timothy had a proven track record. He had been refined in the fires of ministry with Paul. This man served like a son to his father. As a woman, as a mother, never yield to the pressures of our culture or our society thinking that your role, your tenderness, your submissive heart, your ministry and service to others that may go unnoticed is not important because it is a great price to God. Don't give up your God-given design and role because of the pressures of our culture and our society. In fact, every one of us today, this isn't just for our ladies, each one of us, we can be a person of influence to someone around us. And every one of us today are being influenced by somebody else. So here's my exhortation to all of us today. Be careful about what you listen to. Be careful about what you're around. Because everything that we take in influences us. So every one of us are being influenced by something. I've, I've started a little habit because I, I know what a wretch I can be. <laughs> so that when I'm alone now, or if I'm in my car, I try to play praise music and worship music. Because that's what I want to be influencing me. I want to hear the praises of God. I want to hear, and, and it, it changes you. It really does. It, the power of it. This morning, I was on my way over here, and I just clicked, looked on my phone and clicked on the next song, and it was, I Surrender All. 
All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever praise and trust Him. In His presence daily live. I surrender all. Those are the kind of things that I want influencing me. I want to be in the Word of God. This morning I looked for Psalm 63. Early will I seek you. I want to long for you like in a dry and hungry and thirsty land. I want to be like the deer that pants after God. What is it that's influencing us? We need to surround ourselves with godly influences. And if you're a mom today, if you're a woman, if you're a wife, you can have such a profound effect on people around you. Without a word, you can influence others around you. And secondly, not only are we being influenced, but every one of us are influencing someone else, either for the good or for the bad. So I just wanted today to celebrate womanhood. I want to thank God that in his wisdom, he looked down and he says, man, you need something to compliment you. You are not altogether the way you need to be. And when Adam saw Eve for the first time, at this point he said, wow, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. I'm forsaking mom and dad, and this lady, I'm going to dwell with her forever. When God was talking about the roles of men and women in the church, he says this little thing in Timothy, he says, she will be saved through childbearing. I have meditated on that, and I've wondered about that, and I just don't have a, quite an answer yet, but I've got two ideas I'm going to share them with you, and then we'll close. One, I think Paul was saying that the woman is the one who brought the Messiah, brought the Savior into this earth. But I'm thinking also, in that context, the context is, is man's role in the church. And then he says, nevertheless, the woman will be saved. I think what Paul is saying, this is her role. This is her design. This is where she finds her self-worth. This is where she finds her redemption and her roles that are so different from the man. Every time my kids skinned a knee or bruised a bone, they never came running in the house saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It was always, Mom, Mom, Mom. Yesterday, while I was watching the grandkids, I had three of the boys, and that was a mess, and a dog. <laughs> and little Sammy, about two years old, and I was making popcorn. And it was an electric stove, and I'm not used to those stoves, and I forgot that they stay hot. And I turned around, and little Sam put his finger on it, and he burned it really quickly. And I swooped, swooped him up, <laughs> turned on the cold water immediately, and 20 seconds later, the tears had stopped. He was fine. We sat down. We had popcorn. That went on for about an hour. Well, his mom comes in. I said, I want to just tell you, Courtney, there's a couple of mishaps today. One, Sam got in the cabinet and found the paint. <laughs> so Sam's had a bath. <laughs> and 
And secondly, boy, I'm glad I'm not a mom. <laughs> I said, he burned his little finger. And he says, Mom, I burned it. And then the waterworks <laughs> turned on. And she just wrapped her arms around little, I'm like, you little hypocrite. <laughs> but that's the power that a mom has. It's her influence. So someday when these kids head off to college and Victoria's on the other line, Laura, I know within about five seconds you're going to detect whether she's having a good day or a bad day. You can probably already do it right now. That's the blessedness of a mom, a godly mother. Let's pause together for prayer. Father, thank you so much, God, for your infinite wisdom. And God, I pray that as believers in Jesus Christ, we would resist the tide. And we would say that, yes, God has made men as masculine, as strong, as leaders, as emotionally secure. And God, that you have made women tender and special and unique and sweet and soft. God, I thank you that the ladies' teas are not like the men's breakfasts. Lord, you're so wise, so good. May we revel today in your unique design of the man and the woman. In Jesus' name, amen.